29 years ago, the Atlanta Braves were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates in the National League Championship Series. Now, you have to understand that at least from the perspective of my childhood, it seemed like the whole entire South of this country lived and died with the fortunes of the ball club from Atlanta. They were a garbage team in the 1980s. There are no two ways about it. Take Dale Murphy away and they don't win any games at all. But somehow with some starting pitching taking some rise in the 1990s, the Braves became really good and it seemed like the whole entire South and anyone who had TBS as the cable channel got caught up into the excitement. There were Braves hats everywhere when I went to school. I remember PA systems interrupting high school football games, giving us updates on playoff scores. Uh, my brother and I, we were such huge Braves fans that our church once a year would make the three-hour bus ride to Atlanta, for, to Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and it felt like we were going to Disney World. It was the most exciting thing for us. So those first few years of the 1990s were in my memory, like this just epic time of baseball truly being the national pastime. All which brings us back to 29 years ago this past Thursday. Atlanta and Pittsburgh were playing a winner-take-all game seven. The Braves were seeking their second consecutive trip to the World Series while the Pirates were seeking to avenge falling short against Atlanta the year before. Pittsburgh's pitcher Doug Drabeck had pitched a masterful game and heading into the Braves' final at bat in the bottom of the ninth, the Pirates were up two to nothing. They were three outs from celebrating a trip to the World Series on the field of their nemesis. Then October magic began to stir. Terry Pendleton led off with a double then advanced to third when David Justice reached base on an error. Next, Sid Bream walked to load the bases. Ron Gant hit a long fly ball for the first out, but it allowed Terry Pendleton to score. It was a one-run ball game. Then catcher Damon Berryhill walked to load the bases again, and then another out came. It was 2-1, two, two outs, bottom of the ninth, a trip to the World Series on the line. Who will come up in such an epic moment? Truly, it would be one of the superstars of the team, but no, it was a pinch hitter who had only been to the plate 12 times that season by the name of Francisco Cabrera. On a 2-1 pitch, Cabrera hit a line drive to left field. Justice easily scored from third to tie the game, and as Barry Bonds tried to field the ball, Sid Bream is rounding third base, pumping his arms with all his might, and this is what you need to know about Sid Bream. He was not the most swift-footed fellow. I went back and watched this game on YouTube this past week, and immediately when Sid Bream got on base, the commentators started talking about how slow the guy was. It was actually really kind of mean, because they didn't just bring it up once, they mentioned it multiple times. It's like they would talk about it, and then like two minutes later, Sid Bream's had five knee surgeries, he's just not going to be able to run out there. The Braves are in trouble if they're going to ask him to run. I mean, it, it was kind of mean, to be honest. But Sid Bream was in that place, and he is chugging with all of his might on that five-time repaired knee, and he slides into home plate right before Barry Bonds' throw reaches him. The Braves win, three to two, pandemonium erupts in the stands. Ted Turner and Jimmy Carter are high-fiving each other. The whole entire crowd is going nuts. The field celebration was so raucous that one of the Braves pitchers could not pitch in the World Series because he got injured in the dog pile that took place on the field. And all over the Southeast, Families let out a jubilant cheer as they watched their favorite team 
make it to the World Series, including in my home in Moore, South Carolina, where my mom and my dad screamed loud enough that it woke up my brother, but did not wake up me. I woke up the next morning sad that my team had lost and was explained at breakfast before school that no, they actually won and oh, your little brother got to see it. Um, and uh, that really uh, kind of bummed me out that I missed that. Like I know exactly what happened, not just for Atlanta fans, it's sports at large, but I missed it because I was asleep. That in short is the message for this Sunday. Not about baseball, uh, though I did watch Atlanta win in the bottom of the ninth yesterday and it was awesome. Um, but there are many times asleep to the ways in which God is present and moving and working in our lives. That slumber is important because especially as Christians, we believe that in God we live and move and have our being. When we are asleep in our faith, we miss out on something amazing, important, and life-giving. So as we wrap up this series that we've been doing for a while on the questions of Jesus, we are looking today at the question, why are you sleeping? And cards on the table. If I might be a little bit honest, part of the reason I chose this question is I thought it'd be really funny to preach a sermon called, Why Are You Sleeping? There are many Life gets so difficult and crushing that our bodies just want to shut down. And in those moments, it can be hard to find God in the world around us. For some people, the last 19 to 20 months have seemed like a never-ending cycle of being overwhelmed. The world got turned upside down seemingly over and over again, and nothing was normal for a really long time. It can be really easy to fall asleep to things in that kind of circumstance. We can also fall asleep to our faith when we are simply too busy, or when faith slips in our priorities. We get so wrapped up in the day-to-day -day grind that we don't really have time to think about God, so we compartmentalize everything that we have to get through the week. We attach God to a time and a place, which is right here and right now. And because of that, COVID has made our faith slip even further down the rungs of priority because when God is tied to a time and a place and that time and place is taken off the table, we can easily slip into the habit of even being asleep to God on Sunday mornings. So Jesus wants his followers to be awake because things are urgent. Paul encourages the church in Rome to wake up for that very reason. Time is short. We don't know how long we have in life. The days are few. We need to wake up to the God who gives us life. We cannot hit snooze on what God is doing. Perhaps a more important question besides why are you asleep is how can we wake up? How can we wake up to all that God is doing in the world and in our lives in a way that we can live out God's love for the people around us? Now, there are many ways to do this, and I am not going to pretend like I have the end-all, be-all solutions to this on how we wake up in our faith. But I do have five suggestions for you this morning on ways that you and I can become more aware of where God is in our daily lives. First, simply ask God to show you where God is. At the beginning of each day, and however often that you need to, ask that God would wake you up, that God would open your eyes. You would be surprised how much you start to notice once you start asking to pay attention. I mentioned I'm from South Carolina, and I never noticed South Carolina license plates growing up because they were everywhere. But when I moved to Tennessee, I saw them all over the place. When a South Carolina license plate popped up, I was like, oh, it's a South Carolina license plate. They're from home. Um, 
and that change in context, the fact that it reminded me of what was my home, it made every appearance of the license plate jump out to me. And when we ask God to wake us up and to help us see where God is each day, that mindset can help us be witness to a myriad of ways the divine shows up each and every single day. Yet what does that look like when God shows up? I think it's easy for us to see God in a sunset or to hear God in a Sunday morning hymn, yet God is so much more present in our lives than even that. My wife, EA, she has a spiritual director, and she once suggested to her that we can search for God in our lives by looking for the fruits of the Spirit. She encouraged EA to each day write down where she saw or experienced love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For God is the source of all of those things. And so my second suggestion to you is to pay attention to where the experience of the fruit of the Spirit is in your life. And remember that those are true signs of God at work in the world around you. Where you experience love, God is there. Where life radiates joy, God is there. Where you find peace, even when life is not peaceful, God is there. If you encounter these root, root fruits of the Spirit, make a note of it. Literally, if you have to, write them down in a journal. If you have to, put post-it notes all over your house. Not only will it wake you up to God's presence, but it will also be a reminder that God has been there when those fruits seem to dry up from time to time. Third, talk to God. I confess that this is one that I often struggle with myself. When those disciples were literally asleep in one of today's passages, Jesus' encouragement to them was to pray. Pray that you won't fall into the time of trial. Call out to the God who hears you. We sometimes get intimidated by the idea of prayer. If you, I've, as a minister and just as a person, I've noticed that if you want to get people to avoid all eye contact with you, just ask who in the group wants to pray. And like everybody suddenly is looking for something on the ceiling somewhere, looking at the... Um, we, we get intimidated by the idea of praying. Uh, unless it's a blessing before a meal or us saying, now I lay me down to sleep. Yet Jesus tells us that God is not impressed by our fancy religious words. He says we can just talk to God as we would to a friend or to a parent. There are so many times that I sit in this empty sanctuary or in the chapel down on the other end of the church. and I just talk to God out loud. I tell God about my day, what I'm scared of what I'm struggling with, what my hopes are. And I talk out loud, so it sometimes gets awkward because people sometimes walk in and it looks like I'm just talking to nobody. But in those moments of just being honest with God, I feel that God's closer. I feel like that God hears me, which is true. God hears me and God hears each and every single one of us. And sometimes we don't have the words to pray. And the good news is that we can borrow words if we don't feel like that we have them. There's a whole book of prayers in the Psalms that can give us words when we don't feel like we have them. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. Have mercy of me, O oh God, according to your unfailing love. You can recite the Lord's Prayer that we pray here each week or any prayer that you find in the Bible. You could get to the book of common prayers or pray the examine. There's so many resources that can help us facilitate this conversation between us and God. Because when you're talking to someone, you're aware that they're there and you see them around. Fourth, remember, 
Whenever you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, do this in remembrance of Jesus. Each Sunday we take part in communion. We remember God's love and mercy and sacrifice for each of us. And that remembrance does not have to be restricted to what we do here at this table. We can remember God's goodness in each meal. In church also we're often reminded to remember our baptism. Every single time you encounter water, whether you bathe or whether you drink a cold glass of water or when the rain falls upon your face, you can remember your baptism. You can remember how God gives you new life. The world is full of ways to remember what God has done for us. Constantly in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the people of Israel are reminded to remember, to remember what God's done for you. Remember how God has been there for you. The world is full of ways to remember what God does for us. And when we remember, our eyes can be opened and we can be awakened to the ways in which God's justice, love, and mercy are happening in the here and now. Fifth, community. In a lot of ways, I think that our waking up hinges on this final one. We can keep each other awake to the ways that God is on the move around us. In the prologue to her excellent book, Searching for Sunday, the late Rachel Hill Evans wrote, Christianity isn't meant to simply be believed. It's meant to be lived, shared, eaten, spoken, and enacted in the presence of other people. The sacraments of the church remind me that try as I may, I can't be a Christian on my own. I need a community. I need a church. I need a community. I need a church. We need each other. We need each other to the point, point out the places that God is moving around us. We need each other to sit watch over us. We need each other to slap one another awake when we get too caught up in the things that we do that hurt ourselves and hurt others. We need each other to pray for one another, to break bread together, to laugh and to cry. We need each other. If we truly want to see God in the world, then we need to be around people who want to do the same. It's not enough to just share a pew with them for an hour once a week. We need to talk about faith with them and pray with them, to have fun with them and share in life with them. We can do this in Sunday school classes and small groups and Bible studies and dinner groups. You name it. The possibilities are endless, but it doesn't happen by accident. It takes intentionality. You and I need the church because this faith thing is not just a set of ideas to believe. It is meant to be lived and shared and eaten and spoken and enacted in the presence of one another. So it's five things. They're pretty simple. I don't think they were very profound. But we just need to ask God to show up in our lives. We need to talk to God. We need to look for the fruits of spirit. We need to remember God. We need to be with one another and be in community. Once a year, our youth uh, have an all-night lock-in in which we, the object for most of them is to stay up all night till dawn. I'm going to be honest with you. It is not one of my favorite nights of the year. They like it a lot, and I love them, so we do it, but I'm not usually pleased about it. And it's, I don't know how many of y'all have tried to stay up all night long, but it is really hard to stay awake when you get into those wee hours of the morning. But what I have found out in the midst of those nights of playing basketball and eating Doritos at four o'clock in the morning, which no human being should ever do, is the only way to stay awake is to talk with each other 
and be with each other and share in that time with each other. Even then, some people still fall asleep. Often many of them do. But we need each other, and we need that reminder. God is in this world all around you, and I hope that we together can see that, that we can be witnesses to the ways in which God's love and justice and mercy and goodness move in this world and share that with one another. Let us not just confine that to part of our week. Let us not be asleep to that, but let us be awake to all of the amazing and beautiful ways that God is with us each and every single day. Amen.